Hey everyone, welcome back to the Farming for Passive Income show. I'm your host, Casey Silveria. Today, we have a special guest, Anthony Vecino. Anthony, did I say that correctly? Yeah, you nailed it. Nice. Well, like, I heard. I do, I do, I do wonder, I do wonder, you said I'm a special guest. I wonder, do you ever have not special guests on? I well, the the funny thing is, I have you're special in the fact that I haven't had anyone from the trice or the Twin Cities, excuse me, on, and okay. I have heard of you know the Austins, the Phoenix, Markets mm -hmm. in California, you know the Smile States, of course, um, but nothing from the Twin Cities. So that is actually one of the hot topics I would love to get into today. You you are not in the minority there for sure. Most people do not think of the Twin Cities when it comes to investing. They're like. Um, that the twenty percent rent growth cities like you know Miami, Nashville, Austin, like people love the talking about those places. But then you talk about the Midwest, and a lot of times it's like Indianapolis, Minneapolis. Aren't those pretty much the same place? Like, yeah. Does anybody people live there? Like, yeah, man, people live here, and you can make some pretty good returns too. Yeah, maybe because no one knows about it. Hundred percent. Right? <laughs> yeah. So did you grow up there, or how did you get started there? My dad was military, so we traveled a lot, and it just ended up being that um, when he got out of the military, we ended up here in uh, Minneapolis for my junior and senior year of high school. And then as soon as I graduated, I got out of here. I was like, oh, I got to get out of Minnesota. So I went to South Dakota, which like makes way less sense. But I lived there for two years, did two years of school, and then ended up coming back to Minneapolis. I left again, went to California, came back. It just kept pulling me back in. It's like the godfather. It's like, once I thought I was out <laughs> pulled me back in. And that's one of the really crazy things about the Twin Cities that people don't realize is that it's a very sticky city. So like people never think that they're going to end up in the Twin Cities. But then once they live here, they're like, this place is awesome. Is it because it's what, humid like, there? Like, what's that? Is it because it's humid there? You got some humidity, but it's not like, you know, Nashville and like the South humidity. But we just okay. have like a super high quality of life. And so it's a really fit city, a lot of biking, a lot of um, disposable income just because the affordability rate is so high. And okay. so like people come here and they're like, this place rocks. We've got a good food scene. We've got an awesome music scene. Even after Prince died, it's still pretty good. All right. Cool. Interesting. Yeah, I, I know nothing about the Twin Cities. So, yeah, this is all news to me. Maybe you're like the next Boise, Idaho, where I'm from. Dude, Boise, I, I love Boise for, for so many reasons. I kind of think it's um on a 15, 20 year horizon. I think it's the next Denver. I think it's it's still really early in its trajectory. I think it has a lot of room for growth. And I think people are, are have been realizing that over the last five years. That's why it's been like per capita the fastest growing city in the in the country for for multiple years running. Yeah, it'll be very interesting. I think they to get to that level, they have to do a lot of infrastructure and redesign. 100%. Um, I don't know if Minneapolis or yeah, the Twin Cities was good at that projecting out the path of progress, but I don't know. What are you guys seeing from that standpoint? Yeah, I think the Twin Cities did a good job of like building out the city generally. But the thing with us and the reason a lot of people don't think of us for investing is because we have never over the last 40 years had any kind of explosive growth period where there's like 10, 15, 20% growth. It's every single year every single year without fail, even during 2007 and eight, it's like three to 4% growth. And so for a lot of investors they are like, well, that's not very interesting. That's not sexy. It's not crazy. I don't growth. know. I find that super it, sexy. Right. Like you said, a timer to it. And <laughs> yeah. like our, our number one investment thesis is you take care of the downside, the upside takes care of itself. And so when we look at it, like, yeah, it doesn't have the crazy growth, but it doesn't have the downside. It doesn't have the downswing either. So uh, mitigating that volatility, that's huge for us. 
Yeah, exactly. And it takes, I mean, it kind of goes along with your other piece of your investment thesis, you know, investing should not be complicated, scary, mm -hmm. or overwhelming, right? And a lot of these crazy volatile markets, it seems like when people are comping 20% rent growth, you know, that seems it could be a scary assumption. 100%. I think investing should be boring. It should be as, <laughs> as boring yeah. as possible. So if your heart rate is getting elevated for any reason, it's a bad sign. Even if that's like, hey, we bought this thing and then two years later, we sold it for a 3x multiple. I don't like that. Like be, because I don't invest in my real estate for that type of growth. I angel invest in tech startups for that type of growth. That's what I want to see there. But I don't want to see that in my real estate. I want more steady eddy um, growth patterns because the problem with 20% rent growth is you, you look at the markets where they're achieving that, like Phoenix and Austin and uh, some places in Florida. You do not see a commensurate growth of income. And that's problematic because you can only sustain 20% year over year growth, rent growth uh, up to a certain point, and then people can't afford it anymore. Yeah. Right. And so until we, if we don't see that growth on the income side, there will come this equilibrium. And if you've been banking on 20 to 30% growth for the next five years, and that's what your pro forma is, is predicated on. Yeah. You could find yourself uh, pretty disappointed. Like Phoenix is a good yeah. example in the last 10 months. On the single home, uh, single family home side of things, like they had a ten percent drop in valuations, and so mm. that's that's significant. Now they're still way ahead in the grand scheme of things because they've had so much yeah. growth, but just a ten percent drop in eleven months is like really really frightening. So, and I don't know too much about markets that I don't personally swim in, so I'm I'm just poking holes in other people's markets and like yeah, how dare know, you? I'll look over here at the Twin Cities. We're perfect, <laughs> which we're not, <laughs> yeah. by the way. Like, like no market is perfect. I think that's a huge takeaway too. Is like yeah. you can make money and, and you can lose money in any market. It's less about the market and more about the operations in that market. Yeah. Strategy, people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you kind of hopped around different states. You ended up in Minneapolis, but you've also like you got into rock climbing, didn't you? Or yeah. is rock climbing and then some business within rock climbing? So how'd you get from there to real estate? Yeah. So when I went out to California, that was for like the six, seven year spree as a professional rock climber, which was really cool, but it didn't like, it didn't make a lot of money. And it really just meant I slept in the dirt and climbed on rocks all the time. Like it, it sounds way more glorious than it really was in reality, but it allowed me to live my life and do what I wanted and just go be Peter Pan out in the woods, which was awesome. But then there came <laughs> a point when I wanted to marry this woman and I sat down with her parents and I, I asked them, I'm like, can I marry your daughter? And they looked at me. And they're like, what are you going to do to provide for our daughter? And I was like, oh, I was just, I was looking for a yes here. <laughs> I wasn't looking for, uh, you know, grilling me on my finances, but it, it was a good, it was a good pivot moment in my life because it made me realize that um, you, you have to have some kind of value to the world. And if you don't have value to the world, if you're out there just kind of doing your own thing, living under a rock, like I was, there comes this point when you're, you're not in harmony with society or with the universe and you feel like you're just kind of a leech and that's how I started to feel I was like I was just kind of leeching on the universe and so that that question that they asked me kind of started tapping into things that I was already feeling internally about like what am I really doing with my life what worth what value have I uh, have I brought to the world and if I was just to disappear would it have, have meant anything you know those are questions that yeah. we all struggle with but um that, that led me down the road eventually because a year later, this this woman who I, I got engaged to, she left me and then um, I was living in the back of a van because she kicked me out of the house and she's like, you need to be out by Monday. And I was like, 
Friday. <laughs> That's two days. Okay. So now I now I found myself living in the back of a 15 passenger van, really questioning, like, okay, what am I doing here? And at the time that her parents had asked me that question, I said, okay, who makes a lot of money? And the first thing that came to mind was Stephen King and J.K. Rowling. So I was like, I'll be a science fiction writer. That they make money. That sounds like a great way to make money. Um, <laughs> which in hindsight, like it's really not. Let's <laughs> see, um, J.K. Rowling and, Steve, and Stephen King. But I wrote uh, twelve novels, and they did pretty wow. well. But they weren't like killing it. They weren't like they weren't. I wasn't Stephen King. I wasn't J.K. Rowling. And so I was living in that van and writing books. And it was kind of I was kind of that guy that was living in a van down by the river. So for down by instead of being down by the river, I was like parked in the back of a climbing gym, and I would just run my electrical cord from my van into the back, and I would shower <laughs> in the gym, and like that was my life. And I was just they had songs books. about you. Exactly. And my friend, he's like, dude, we got to do something about this. Like, we got to get you out of this scenario because this is not a good look. He's like, let's go build a business. And I was like, I don't know anything about business. I wasn't the kid with a lemonade stand. I didn't pluck flowers and sell it to the neighbor. I didn't do any of that stuff. So stepping into business for the first time, it was really scary and something I had never seen for myself. But we went and we built a window washing company and like it did really well. And what I realized was like, I loved being tied into something where you're creating a product or a service that people really want and they value, even if it's as simple and stupid as washing a window, like people want to have clean windows. They want to have a beautiful view. Right. And like, you can connect that with a deeper meaning and they're willing to pay for it. And I was like, this is amazing. Like entrepreneurship, building businesses, the coolest thing. So for the past decade, that's what I've been doing. Uh, I built a manufacturing company with a buddy that produces polyurethane rock climbing holds and imports hardware from, from overseas. So like still pretty involved in the climbing world. And then in 2012, I started buying real estate, just kind of my businesses were doing well. I had excess cash flow. I was like, well, let's go invest that and then go buy buildings. And then in 2019, um, just had a ton of people coming from like friends and family coming and saying, Hey, I see what you're doing. I see the success you're having. Can we do this with you? Can we invest in real estate? And that's when we formed Invictus Capital and really just started bringing uh, passive partners into our deals where we just go and buy buildings and they invest alongside us. Nice, man. So how did, that's a cool story, by the way. I mean, you don't hear very many people going from basically a bum to a writer to yeah, <laughs> what you are now. <laughs> yeah, who knows? That might come full circle, you know, at some point I might be a bum again. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, who knows, man. Um, you know, the Stoics were basically all bums too, so. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, those guys are my homeboys, so. Yeah, well, those, yeah, those guys weren't quite bums. If I got to bust out my toga and, 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 you know, hang out with them, I'll do it. I mean, that's why I hit up every toga party that I can find. 100%. I just want to be like these that. Day, these days, all the toga parties are just like, there's beer pong. It's usually in a frat house. It's like, there's no yeah. philosophy happening here. <laughs> no philosophy happening. No, that's, that's for sure. Yeah. Quite the opposite. Although some late nights you can, you think you're talking philosophy. Start you start thinking you're getting deep, but really you're yeah. just in the, the kiddie pool. Yeah, you're still Splashing talking gibberish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've all we've all been there. <laughs> like, man, my feet feel so good in this kiddie pool. Woo. So you started this investing. Is life, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I mean, the the bigger question is, are there kiddie pools in front of your multifamily apartments? No. No, we, we really specialize in class C, class B multifamily. And in particular, 
uh, we carved out a niche in this kind of forgotten middle, which is like 20 to 80 unit apartment complexes. And the reason we focus there is like they're too big for a lot of the duplex, triplex investors. They're like, oh, 20 units. That's, that's couldn't, can't yeah. even imagine. But then 80 units is too small for the really big out-of-state institutional players. And so what that means is uh, we have this middle that is owned by a lot of owners who've had these buildings for 30 plus years. You know, they're looking to pass it on. Their kids don't necessarily want to take the buildings. And so we're coming in and getting these things off market. And because we're vertically integrated and locally based, we're able to buy assets and group them geographically. So we can take a 20 unit here and then a block away, we've got a 15 and a block away, we've got another 30. And then we get the synergies of scale that you know other operators wouldn't be able to get. So that's that's where we play. But those buildings are just too small for kiddie pools, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, that, that's fair. I mean, at that point, you have to um, build an actual pool. Yeah, I got to get out there and dig a hole. I... Yeah. Here's the thing. So in a past life, this was like when I was in college, I, I worked as a... Um, a landscaper. And one of the through lines in my life is I have severe ADHD and it was really problematic when I was young and I couldn't hold down jobs. I was getting fired constantly. And, and this landscaping job is a perfect example. Like I was so bad at following directions and listening and actually like staying on task, doing the work that my foreman by like third week into this job, he would just take me out into a field away from the rest of the crew. Like I could see him off in the distance. He'd like separate me from everybody. So I wouldn't get distracted. And he's like, I want you to dig a hole. I'm like, how big? He's like, dig a hole. And then he'd come back like four hours later. He's like, okay, now fill that hole. And that would be my day. Like four hours of digging a hole and four hours of filling a hole. And then he would, he did this for like three days straight trying to break me. He, he was hoping I would quit. And at a certain point I was like, if you're just going to pay me to dig a hole all day, like I'll do it. Who's who's the stupid one now? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. show it to him. And like after a full summer of this, I was like, I just wasted an entire summer of my life. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's why you were so good at rock climbing because you're back. That's true. You know, hey, man, like I got nothing but mad respect for people who work with their bodies and construction or labor all day. It is brutal. But like, what about farming? Farming, dude, farmer strength is no joke. Like I so coming from a rock climbing background, I used I, I do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu as well. Like it is really funny, like to wrestle or to climb with old school farmers who've been doing it for decades, like you got some of the craziest grip strength you've ever seen. Uh, they're just monsters. So yeah, uh, if you're a farmer and you're like, I want to get out of the farmer life, I don't know, man, maybe pick up rock climbing. You might be really good at it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I think if I suggested my, that to my dad, he'd slap me maybe, but he also has like most, banana most farmers, hands, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most most farmers are not open to the possibility of of leaving leaving the farm. Like, what else is there out there? No, nah, I want this. This is my life. This is who I. It's an identity thing, right? Like, it's who you are through and through. Yeah, yeah. Probably one of the strongest identities I would say in America, because I mean, they were this basically segment of society like built America. Yep. Like with without that identity, America probably didn't have a chance. Like being what it is today. Yeah. And it's, it's incredibly generational, right? So pretty much, pretty much there's no, there's very, very few like 18, 19 year olds out there who did not grow up farming, who are thinking, ah, I want to be a farmer. There's very few people that didn't come from that world, like that, that genealogy that is thinking about getting into farming now. So it's been passed on from like son to dad, to grandpa, to great grandpa, like down through the line in a lot of ways. So it's like, it's not just who you are, it's who your family is as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true, man. I mean, I, I didn't take over the farm, um, for various reasons. Um, 
but you see a lot of the consolidation happening in the farming world. And then there's um, companies that are like trying to build legacy farms, help people build, build processes and systems to help keep it through the family. Um, and so I'm, I'm a huge proponent um, of that, even though I didn't go down that path and went down more of a, a finance route. But anyway. Yeah, I, I don't know much about that world, but I have to imagine as like bigger and bigger companies and money comes into that the ag world, you know, um, one of my good friends is um, from Cargill and that world is just so, so damn sophisticated, right? And as that becomes ever more sophisticated, the family business has a really hard time competing. And so it's like, where do you, where do you carve out the unique edge? It's the same, it's the same thing that we see in real estate, right? Like the mom and pop owners of these buildings versus the big institutional money coming in with all their, their fancy systems and processes that make it really hard to compete. And so from an acquisition standpoint, they can come in, pay more than you because they're getting cheaper debt and they have better systems and operations. So they know they're going to be able to squeeze more out of that plum than you can. And so, you know, it's, it's just, I think the nature of all industries at this point where it's like, the game is just getting bigger and more complex and the players that are playing it at the highest level are just so damn good. Yeah. I also wonder how much the crowdfunding crowdfunding realm um, is impacting this. I mean, we look at one example is a site called farm funder, I think where it's basically a crowdfunding site where you can go invest your money much like you can with one of our syndications but you're investing in a farm operation and a bigger player. And so um, I wonder how much of that, you know, you they're using the same, some of the same laws that, you know, allow us to operate at a 506, 506 B and then the 1940s laws. But um, yeah, man, it, it's an interesting concept because you do think of the economies of scale and it's hard to hard to compete. You have to be such a niche player kind of like how you're operating in the twin cities. Exactly. And that's, I think that's the only way to survive if you're not one of those big fish is to carve out your unique edge. Like where do you have a competitive advantage for us? It was just really simply, okay, well we're local. So that's one, we know all the, the people in this market. We know all the buildings, we know all the owners and sellers. Uh, number two was, okay, let's, let's cut out as many middle people as we can and control as much of the process. So we have in-house property management rather than outsourcing that. And so those things are really important for us because they're things that they kind of build a moat around what we do and how we do it. So if somebody wants to compete with us, they either need to come in and build the same capabilities that we do, which is going to take them time and energy, or they need to find a completely different way to be competitive with us. And within real estate, there's just not that many ways, I think, to be truly different. Like there's only so many ways because uh, at the end of the day, the thing I love most about real estate is it's really simple. These are just mm -hmm. sticks and bricks with with people living inside of them. They're little businesses, and there's only so many so many levers you can pull with them. Yeah, there's only kitty so many kitty pools you can offer. Exactly, as like a sign up bonus, you know. Trust me, I tried, man. I tried. I I, I give out like inflatable pool, like the the, the little army things, the floaty wings, <laughs> left and right. And at a certain point, people are like, "I only got two arms. How many more of these do I need?" Yeah, more. Maybe um, try those pink flamingo floaties that are so popular right now or at least three years ago not like the state bird of wisconsin the flamingo something crazy i have no idea i don't <laughs> even know what my idaho state bird is i know it's the gem state because yeah it's a gem in and of itself but oh, also, there you go. 
It's yeah, I spent a lot of time in Idaho. My grandparents live up in Salmon. And so yeah. uh, when I was little, I'd spend a lot, I spent every summer out there with them. And it was some of the best times of my life because when I was growing up, I was, uh, again, ADHD. They had me on Ritalin. And so the only times I would I was able to go off of that drug was in the summertime. My, my grandfather, who is like former chief of police down in San Diego, he's like, you don't need drugs. And I was like, hell yeah, I don't need drugs <laughs> on the ranch for like three months out of the year. It was, it was bliss. That's funny. So were you on drugs and not on drugs? I was on drugs. I was on Ritalin from yeah. when I was six until I was 16, except for those summers yeah. and they would take me off. Um, and it was interesting because the drug, it really made me feel like a prisoner in my body, in my mind. Like it made me mm-hmm. feel trapped. I really hated that feeling. So they gave me the choice when I was 16 to go off of it. But it was, that was problematic because now I was a 16 year old with ADHD who didn't have like any systems or skills or frameworks for controlling all that energy. And so for the next 10 years, I really struggled. That's why I was like a terrible employee. I was getting fired all the time. I had a hard time holding down relationships because I was just really, um, unreliable in a lot of ways, unfocused, undisciplined. And so it was kind of like trading one prison, which was the prison of the drug and how that made me feel to being a prisoner of like infinite potentiality, which is like when you feel like you could do anything and everything, but you just don't know where to start or how to start. And so you Mm. feel like you're just a vehicle whose wheels are spinning at a thousand RPMs, but the tires are just inches off the ground. And so it's just all wasted motion. And that's how I felt for so long. Yeah. You say that and it kind of reminds me of like the feeling I had or a lot of people in my community also like during Corona, it felt like whenever everything shut down, we were just like, everything was still going, but we weren't really going anywhere. The engine was running, but it's a terrible feeling. It is a terrible feeling. Humans are like sharks, like that myth about the sharks where they drown if they're not swimming forward. Um, it's not true for sharks, but it is true for humans. I think you're either ever moving one of two directions, either forward or even backwards. There is no stasis. And I think every human feels it innately in their heart when they're not moving forward, they either acknowledge it and accept that pain, um, or they ignore it, but the pain's still there. Mm -hmm. Right. And, And so there comes a point, and I think Corona, I think uh, 2020 was like this turning point for a lot of people where they felt that stasis and they felt just how horrible it feels to not move forward. And that's why I think there was just so, so much frustration during that period of time for people is like, my life is not moving. And that's just a terrible place for people to be. Yeah, for sure. You have more experience than a lot of people in that middle. And I've never been in such a situation, but yeah, I can... I kind of feel your pain, but not for so many years. It's yeah. But I mean, now you're an entrepreneur. You're you still young. You got that energy. <laughs> you can take all that energy into multifamily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the thing is like when you find the thing that lights your soul with joy and you start moving forward and you're living in alignment with the greatness that you feel that you have inside of you, you just, you discover like a ton of energy. You like that purpose, that meaning like starts to fuel you. Um, and then work, I mean, work is always work, but it's, and it's not that the work feels any less hard. It's just work that you do gladly with an open heart. And that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Do you feel like your purpose right now is perhaps helping other people get their money out of other investments and into like more stable real estate right now is like maybe a core 
principle of your business right now is like providing value in that way? Well, uh, I guess for me, like all I, the, the way I think about it is I want people to, I want to share my story uh, and what helped me get from where I was to where I am. And the things that stand out to me is that the the things that really changed in my life were like my, my mindset and how I thought about my life and the habits and routines that I established as a result of that. But from a tactical standpoint, it was literally building a business and investing in real estate. Like those two things helped me get from where I was, which was a place I did not want to be to where I am now, which is, I love my life. I, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very content. And um, some might say successful, but like, at, at its root, I think everybody has the opportunity to maximize their return on life if they can just build a business and invest in real estate. And a lot of people don't want to be entre entrepreneurs, but I think everybody should be investing in real estate just because of the, the power of the vehicle. And I don't care if people invest with us or if they invest with other people or if they just decide to go and take the information and do it themselves. I just want people to know that having control over their finances, over their investing future is so much easier than they probably realize. And for so many people, they, they probably feel overwhelmed when they think about investing because it's not something we talked about in school or growing up at the dinner table. Yeah. Most families, it's very awkward. Yep. And so everybody feels out of the loop, but they look around and assume everybody else somehow knows something that they don't. And so they feel stupid even asking the questions or raising their hand and saying, I don't understand this. What should I do? And the, so then people are just left to suffer in silence. And when it comes to finance, which is, you know, I don't believe money solves all your problems, but it does solve all your money problems. And so if we, and, and, and the thing is money problems are easy to solve. It just, we just need to make more money. Right. And that's, that's pretty straightforward. It's something I didn't understand when I was younger. I thought it was like this convoluted mystical thing. Like, how do you make money? And then after I started doing it and I, I understood and like, this is not that difficult. This is pretty straightforward. Well, actually it is, it is difficult, but it's not that complicated. And I think that's the important bit because people are generally willing to work very hard, but as long as they're not like overwhelmed with complexity, like most people aren't willing to go and get a master's degree just to go and earn a little bit more money. But, um, and that, so that's like the mission that we're on right now. I think it's just letting people know, like spreading the knowledge. It's why we wrote a book. It's why we do the podcast every week. Like just put out the knowledge so that people have access to the information, which is something that 20, 30 years ago, like our parents, they didn't have, they did not have access to this information, to this vehicle. And it's a shame because I think their lives like across the board would have been so much better if they had been investing in these vehicles for the last 30 plus years. Yeah. Yeah. Fully agree with that sentiment. Look, yeah. Talk, talk to us about your book that you recently wrote, or was it last year that you wrote it and published? Yeah. Yeah. It came out last August. So it's just over a year now. It's called Passive Investing Made Simple. And um, it's written. It, what's really interesting is like when you when you look up books on real estate investing, they're all written for people who want to be like us, like active operators. They want to figure out how to go and find the deal, run the deal, all that stuff. Right. It's always written from like, I want to quit my W2, my job and go do this thing. But like so many people don't want to do that. They want to invest in real yeah. estate, but they don't want to leave their job. Maybe they like it. They're mm -hmm. farming. They're like, I'm not going to leave my farm. They maybe just have no interest in the real estate itself, but they do want to invest in it. Right. And so we wrote the book for the passive investor and saying, this is what you as a person who does not want to leave your W-2 has no intention of leaving your job or what this other thing, but you do want to invest in real estate. Here's what you need to know and how you need to do it. 
And so it's resonated, I think, with a lot of investors because it's very simple and very accessible. And it's very to the point um, for passive investors. Like we really don't mix in like, here's how to go buy a building. It's not that. It's like, here's how to go find an operator. Here's what you need to ask them. Here's what you need to look for in a deal so that you know it's a good deal. Here's how to understand the market dynamics from a passive investor's perspective, not from an active. And mm -hmm. so that book has been really cool. Honestly, when we launched it, I, I thought that it was mainly going to be a resource that we would hand out to our friends and family and to our investors, but it, it, it took off. It, it's been sitting in the top 10 on Amazon for the last year. And it's been really incredible. Like the number of people who've reached out saying, Hey, I discovered you guys because of this book. And it was awesome. Like it, nice. it helped Congrats. me feel confident enough to take action. And I was like, that's cool. That's a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. You really created like value in someone else's life. Like you basically accomplished your mission to add value to someone else's life, right? That's it's impactful. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's the best feeling in the world. Yeah, it's like money. You can have all the money in the world, but I mean, really helping other people. It's not. I mean that that's that's what life is all about. I mean, I don't know if there's like studies, but well, there is. There's been studies done around this. I mean. You know, you make over, I don't know if it's like $70,000 or $100,000 a year. It's like your needs are met. And then anything above that, like your, if your standard of living is good enough, your life doesn't really get any better. or Your happiness level doesn't increase with how much more money you make. If anything, it goes the other way. Yeah. One of the, the simple phrases that I think is and absolutely true, super poignant, and something that we should all just repeat to ourselves daily is that to feel love, all you need to do is give love. And mm. if you if you feel lonely, if you feel sad, if you feel any of those things, just go find somebody and give them some love. And you in turn will get the benefits as well of like, that reciprocation. It's, it's a really incredible phenomenon, but like when you do good and share good and help people, like you are also helping yourself. You're probably the one that's benefiting the most from it. That's why people say it's like, it's better to give than to receive. And it's, it's incredibly true that one of the deepest satisfactions that we can feel as a, as a, as a human, because we are such community oriented animals, one of the deepest pleasures you can feel is helping somebody else. And I don't care how much money you have, like you can help any, you can, you can always help somebody. There's always somebody within arm's reach that you can help. Just, you know, go out on the street, you can find somebody. Mm. And that could be as simple as just saying like, Hey, you look beautiful today. You're looking good. Yeah. Or, like your shoes or like, Hey, I like the way you walk. You're like, you got good energy. Go kill, kill, go kill the day. Right. Like, yeah, people are starved for that. It's interesting. We're more connected than ever, but also more disconnected. Like social media has brought us together so we can kind of view like voyeurs into everybody else's lives and see what's going on. And yet we feel so disconnected still yep. from that. And it's because people in real life are just still, we've become so deconditioned to just like showing love and that's it. It's sad, but we can do something about that. It's true. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be anything big. Every time I have this conversation with myself all the time, like, you know, I should get back to my community more. I, I should go, go to the soup kitchen, go pick up trash, like all of these things that take hours. It's like, yeah, I should do that. And I probably have time, but it also 
doesn't have to be that complex or take that much time. Just mm-hmm. say hello, ask someone how they're doing, have a quick conversation with someone, answer a quick real estate question, like what, whatever you have three minutes of your time, you can make that happen. Right. Yep. One of the, I was listening to a podcast earlier today. Um, somebody was sharing a story about Kobe Bryant and how he was sharing a story about how you met Kobe Bryant once or something. They were playing basketball together and they like were joking around. And then a couple of weeks later, he saw him again and Kobe like remembered his name. They had only met once and Kobe Bryant, like superstar, remembered this guy's name and even went so far as like remembering that this guy had mentioned that his mom's birthday was coming up like a month later. And he like remembered the day he like reached out to this guy and he's like, hey, what's your mom's phone number? I want to call her like and he called up this guy's mom and just said like, hey, this is Kobe Bryant. Happy birthday. Right. And this dude was blown away. He's like, what? Like, how do you remember my name? Like, is that just like easy? Like, is that just like a superpower you have? He's like, no, dude, it's like super hard. Like, but it's worth it because for most people, this might be the only they might only ever meet me one time. They might only ever meet Kobe Bryant one time. And if I can make them feel special and, and seen just from something so simple as remembering their name, and that's something that they're going to take with them for the rest of their life. And they're going to share it with people around them, just like in the same way this guy is sharing it on a podcast. And I was like, man, that's so crazy. And it's so powerful. And so like the takeaway for me is like, when you're in the room with somebody, be in the room with that person. Mm-hmm. Don't be distracted. Don't be on the phone. Like, don't be looking at the other, like be there with them. And it's one of the most profound gifts I think you can give somebody, whether you're Kobe Bryant or you're just, you know, Joe Schmo on the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's going to be even more important going forward as we become more attached to our devices, having connection issues. Like you said, we're more connected on the web than we ever have been, but less connected in person than ever before. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's even more important to remember those things going forward. But that cool story on Kobe Bryant, way to wrap some sports into this. And dude, and dude, let me let me bring this back to real estate because I think this is really important yeah. stuff. Is like like we we talk about at, at Invictus that we want to be the most impact driven mm-hmm. investment firm in the Twin Cities. And for us, like it's so easy when it comes to investments to, especially in real estate, to focus on the sticks and the bricks, but forget that who you really are serving is the blood living inside of that building. It's the families. And yes, the numbers, the spreadsheets, it's all really great. Like love making money. Fantastic. But at what cost? And really you have this unique opportunity when you're investing in multifamily real estate to make a dramatically positive impact on your community, on your neighborhood, on this, on the people that live in this building. And if you're not taking advantage of that opportunity to make it better, to make the lives of the people that you serve better, then you're, you're missing one of the, one of the biggest opportunities in real estate because our thesis is you take care of the resident that takes care of the building and the building takes care of the investment. Right. And, but it all starts with the family, the resident inside that building. And so I don't, I don't know as a culture, what we need to do as investors or as a community and how we think about these things. But when we put people before profits, like good things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Fully agree. Yeah. Is there like some programs that you guys are doing to support those families, or is it just ensuring that you guys are doing the best that you can from a rehab standpoint, from an operational standpoint to serve them at the highest level, or is there Mm -hmm. more than that? It's, it's all of the above. Like the biggest one is making sure from an operation standpoint that people are seen and heard 
And because like, this is their home. It's the most valued thing that they have. And yet we own it. And so there's like this power dichotomy. So when they reach out and they have a maintenance issue, like they feel vulnerable and that can quickly stem into feelings of like insecurity and frustration. And so it's our responsibility mm -hmm. to address that as quickly as possible. That's one side of it. The other is being very proactive in thinking about the world through the eyes of our, our residents. Case in point being during COVID, like with the, the lockdowns and people not being able to work, like there was a lot of un, un, uncertainty about what that meant for the future. And for a lot of our residents who are blue collar workers who maybe were working service industry jobs that were suddenly shut down. When you're in financial crisis mode, you put the blinders on and you don't, you don't see your options very well. So it's our responsibility as the owners to step in and help our residents, not just say, Hey, rent is still due, but saying like, Hey, here's how, Here's the places that you can go to get assistance. We can help you if English isn't your first language. Here's how we can help you to fill out the applications and get this thing done. Um, it's our job to do that. Uh, one of the programs that we're working on launching right now is a rent relief fund, which is for most residents that are in the class B, class C space, the reason that they fall behind on rent and start getting to that point where they're looking at it down the barrel of the eviction is because of some singular traumatic event that happened. It's like a medical thing. The car didn't start. Somebody got sick. And for whatever reason, if they just had like another month of rent, they would be okay. Like that, like a month and a half of rent is usually enough to help them float through the crisis and get back on their feet. So if you have this great tenant who's been there for a number of years and, you know, somebody gets sick and now they fall behind a month on rent, well, don't just evict them. Like what's a better solution there? So for us, like we're working on a solution where for people who are in that situation, we can provide them rent relief through a fund where there's just money set aside for these people who are like, hey, let's, if you have this issue and you need to float for a month because of like something happened in life and that happens, you know, we would rather help you through that and keep you in your home than try to evict you and like get another tenant in there. Like it, it's good karma, which is good, good business policy period. But like at the end of the day, like we, we all right find it's the right thing to do. Yeah. We all find ourselves in tough, tough situations, right? Like I've been there. I lived in the back of a van. Like I remember driving that van and being like, if this thing breaks down, I live wherever, it, wherever it stops. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's a, that's yeah. a, so you gotta be really careful about where you drive that thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe don't go down by the river then in that case. Exactly. Yeah. I, I would, I was like, I was really, I always avoided Hills. I was like, I might not be able to make it up that Hill. I might die on this hill and I don't want to be sleeping <laughs> at an incline. <laughs> oh man. That's if you, if you've all, never all jokes aside. In the car um, is, with gear, yeah. like you, you, you haven't lived. <laughs> yeah. You haven't lived. No, indeed. No. Um, all, all jokes aside, man, that's, um, that's a really cool program that you guys are putting together. I've um, yeah. Huge fan of that. Especially when you look at the, just the socioeconomic dynamics and just the income levels and what's happening with the wealth gap um yeah most man i can't it was a crazy high percentage like over 60 percent maybe or 70 percent or something are are one people are one crisis away one event away from being in trouble 100 percent. i mean they're just not financially secure enough to yeah support exactly the things that you stated mm -hmm. Yeah, honestly, it's really interesting um, working with investors. Now, what I'm starting to see is that uh, it, it's not necessarily even the people that you think like people who have good jobs, they're doctors, they could be lawyers, they could be making really good money. 
they could they also in many cases are sitting on like a razor's edge of like if something happens in their life like that house of cards is coming down right and so that's why yeah. investing is so important because investing serves as the reserves it serves as like the buffer it's what allows you to survive through those rough times and so that's why i'm just so pro like invest 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 because the more that you invest the more bulletproof you are for whatever life throws at you yeah Th that's also a really good point someone might look yeah really really wealthy on paper driving a nice car but they could just have financed all of that and be yeah floating everything that they own yeah having nothing solid yeah it's, it's super common too where um i i had this this interesting engagement with a guy on uh, social media the other day where and it just drove home the fact that a lot of people look at those external status symbols as like an indicator of like, oh, this person has money. I should listen to them or like I should do what they're doing. And this is why you see people with the Lamborghinis and the jets and everything on, on Instagram. And it's like you have to be really in, uh, careful about who you're taking advice from. And one of the things that I've learned, uh, like going up through like different levels of wealth and having like the fortune of being around people who have a ton of money is that they don't live how you really think they live. Like what you see on the social media and how it's presented, it's not really the reality of the people that I know who are like worth tens and hundreds of millions of dollars. Like they, they drive normal cars. <laughs> they live in normal houses in a yeah. lot of cases. And like, for me, <laughs> I was getting crap the other day because I drive a Toyota Prius. I'm like, oh, it's, it's like a $10,000 car. And I'm like, it's not what you would expect somebody to roll up in. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like, people have this thing pegged in their head of what success looks like. The success is, is a feeling and a, and a knowledge of like, I'm very hard to kill. <laughs> like that's, that's my, that's the way I look at it. It's like, I go to the gym and work out to make myself harder to kill from both like not getting sick, not getting old, not getting mugged on the street. I'm harder to kill. I invest yeah. in businesses because that brings me money and I have multiple streams of income, which makes me really hard to kill if something happens in the macro market or whatever. So like, that's one of my yeah. like, lines is like, how hard am I to kill when I drive a Toyota Prius? Like I'm pretty easy to kill on the freeway. <laughs> like Generally speaking, like life is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just go get a tank and then you'll, you'll be class a forever to kill. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, man. man. We have covered many topics today. Um, is there one thing that you would like to leave our listeners? I mean, I know no pressure. We've dropped a lot of value. I think we've talked about some interesting things. Um, but yeah, any any closing thoughts and maybe where listeners can get a hold of you as well? Yeah, I think for people who are probably listening to this show coming from like the, the ag world where it's like, you, you hear a lot about real estate investing and how, you know, it's a way of like changing your life and getting out of a situation or like leaving this thing behind. Like, but recognize that a lot of people have no desire to do that. And if you're one of those people who's like, I'm doing this thing and I have no intention of leaving it, like totally awesome. Like you should still invest in real estate. So that's my parting thought. Um, invest in real estate. Honestly, like if you're a farmer, um, you know, the value of real estate, like, yep. Your land. That, that you get it. So you probably don't need to be preached on that. If you have questions or you don't want to learn more, like I would go tune into our, our podcast, multifamily investing made simple. We put out a ton of content there. It's all free. Just trying to add value to people's lives. If you want a copy of that book that we mentioned earlier, passive investing made simple, you can, you can pick it up on Amazon, but if you want a free copy of it, 
I'll make you guys a special offer. You got to go leave a review for this podcast, not not my podcast, but this podcast. Go to iTunes or wherever you're listening. Leave a podcast, uh, leave a leave a review, and then shoot me an email, Anthony at invictusmultifamily.com and say, yo, I left a review. Now give me that book. Um, and I'll send you a free physical copy of the book. Awesome, man. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, I don't have anything to add. Anthony, thanks again for coming on to the show. Um, listeners, thanks for tuning in and until next time. See you, everyone.